This is The Guardian. Today, underwater and underprepared. Assessing the damage caused by Storm Babette. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. I'm from the, the area where the flood happened in Derbyshire and to my knowledge this kind of flooding's never happened in the 48 years that I've lived in the area. Steve Winfield is a lorry driver. He was working an overnight shift on Thursday when news reports on the radio warned that a storm was about to hit the East Midlands. Never really considered that it was going to be what it was and I went home, went back to bed and I woken up quite abruptly around 20 past 11 with banging on the front door. And that was my neighbour, Dean, trying to wake me up because he knew I worked nights to say, did I need a hand to sort of raise things in the shed? When I looked out the back window, the entire rear garden was submerged. At that point, it was probably about two feet of water. And I'm thinking I've got plenty of time to do things. Like anyone in this situation, he had to prioritise. What would he try and save first? I'd be part of the first actually business in the UK to build replica Knight Rider cars of the full-size vehicle and there was a full-size real replica of the whole TV car on the driveway at the front. Obviously that car's 40 years old and very precious so my first, as crazy as it sounds to many people, my first thought was get that car off the drive and get it to safety. It's very precious to me so I got that car moved. I got a lift back to my property with, with Dad by the time we got back to the front of the house, my main car was already halfway up the wheels deep in water and you could see the water flowing from across the road into the driveways and it, it became very clear then that this was a lot more than just a, a rear garden flood and I needed to do something quickly. Definitely panic set in and I have a lot of precious things. I'm a bit of a hoarder for family memorabilia so I've got letters, birthday, Christmas cards from people that are here and people that have passed away. Immediately my thought went to saving all of those things. So I just got everything that meant anything upstairs as quick as I could. Within half an hour of starting to do that, the downstairs was completely flooded and it was almost up to my knees. There was feces floating through the house. It was disgusting. It stank. It was vile. Between Thursday and Saturday last week, Storm Babette brought chaos across the UK. For Steve... The damage means it could be weeks before he's back in his home. The things I couldn't save with the electrical items like the washing machine, the dishwasher, the two sofas downstairs, they took the brunt of it as well. There's wooden units that I couldn't move. Replacing things is going to happen over weeks, months possibly. For me personally, it could run into thousands. I got off very lightly. Um, you know, I'm safe. This is just material goods, but some people have had it a lot worse than I, I have. Torrential rain and wind has battered parts of Scotland and the Midlands. 
Thousands of homes have been flooded. Hundreds of people have been left homeless. And at least seven people have lost their lives. With more extreme weather to come, how can people protect themselves? From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, how is the UK still not prepared for serious flooding? Jessica Murray, you're The Guardian's Midlands correspondent and you've been reporting on Storm Babbitt for the last few days. In fact, you're sat in a car just off the motorway. I assume you've been travelling up and down the country. Can you tell me just how big this storm was? So just extremely high levels of rain, rivers getting dangerously high in very short periods of time, people just sort of cowering in their homes, listening to the rain hammering down, really, really high winds as well. And not just in the Midlands where I'm reporting, all across the country, I think most people will have had some experience of this storm, whether it was more minor or more serious. I think everyone felt that really extreme rain and wind. So Jesse mentioned most of the country would have had some experience of that storm at, at some point over the last few days. But which parts of the country have been the hardest hit and what has the storm looked like in those places? Scotland is one of the worst areas impacted on the east coast of Scotland in Angus. Whole towns were cut off, only accessible via boat. And unfortunately, we saw a couple of deaths in those places. A woman who was swept away in the floodwater, a man who died when a tree fell onto his van. So I think Scotland was particularly hard hit, but also areas across the north of England. We saw flooding in Northumberland, in Yorkshire. And then in the past couple of days, it's really been the Midlands, so Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire. Quite a lot of houses evacuated in Retford and Nottinghamshire. So it's really impacted huge swathes of the country. But I would say it's Scotland, it's the north, it's the Midlands, which have been particularly hard hit. And the Midlands, of course, is your patch and you've been out and about. What have you been seeing and who have you spoken to? I was in Chesterfield in Derbyshire. It's a market town. I think it's got a population of around 100,000. It's quite large. It's a very sort of historic town. The church in the centre of town has got this really famous wooden spire, which is leaning to one side. Everywhere I went, it was people helping each other out, going into each other's homes and gardens, helping to clear out flood water and start assessing the damage. So it is a large town, but I think it's one of those places where, especially in sort of individual pockets, individual streets, there is still very much that community spirit. And how prominent is the river? Like, are there certain parts of the town that are more vulnerable than others? It's the River Rother, which runs through Chesterfield. And like a lot of towns, cities that have a river running through the middle of them, it's always the houses and businesses which are directly on the riverside, which are most impacted. For example, the street that I went to today was completely almost surrounded by the river, the way it kind of ran parallel and then along the bottom of the street. So you can see how if that river level got quite high, it would be completely, completely vulnerable. It's not one of those places which floods every year. I mean, there's certain parts of the country, I'm thinking there's areas in Yorkshire and Shropshire, where unfortunately they see flooding every single year and it's almost become a, I don't know, like annual event for them and and they're kind of used to it and flooding is kind of baked into their psyche because it happens so often. Whereas I don't think that's quite the case for Chesterfield. Most people I spoke to today kept referring to 2007, which was the last time they saw really bad flooding, which is, you know, that's 16 years ago. And that was flash flooding in summer. So quite different sort of circumstance to what we're in now, obviously a sort of seasonal storm. And as you were walking about the town, where did you see the worst of it? Tapton Terrace was really, really badly devastated by the floods. I mean, it was 
almost like nothing I've ever seen before, to be honest. All the houses were completely just caked in this thick layer of mud from the river, which was rising to about five foot in these properties. So people were talking about how they'd tried to salvage some belongings by putting them on tables or on kitchen counters, and it had just been completely futile because the water was so high. Their wallpaper had been ripped off, carpets were just like brown mulchy rags almost obviously I was there during the aftermath during the cleanup so there's just piles and piles of people's belongings out in the street just caked in mud another street I went to the flood water had been so strong brick garden walls had been completely knocked over and it almost looked like a hurricane or something had been through the area so the scale of these floods has been pretty devastating for those who've been affected. And how much warning was there? So the residents that I've spoke to said that they were told about flood alerts with plenty of time. But I think people who live by rivers, which frequently flood, they get flood alerts a lot. So a lot of the people I spoke to said they were aware that there was the risk of flooding. They maybe started moving a few things from their downstairs of their houses, but they totally weren't expecting the river to rise to the level that it did. So there was warning, but I think people were unprepared for the scale. And can you describe what the emergency response was like in Chesterfield? People were being rescued from their homes by emergency responders in dinghies. Although a lot of the time people said that they were told to stay put, told that they would be rescued. But I think there was some issues in getting to everyone. And some people have expressed frustration and disappointment at how long it took. I think responders were stretched really thin because the scale of the floods was so big this time around. I mean, quite aside from the damage and the trauma of having their lives turned upside down, there was also a death in the local community. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so uh, Maureen Gilbert, she was 83 years old and she lived in this property on Tapton Terrace where she'd lived for a number of years. She was really well known along the street. Every single person I spoke to knew of her. She was there during the floods in 2007. They all talked about how she'd been part of the street rebuilding during that time, starting from scratch as they did back then. And unfortunately, what happened this time round is his son, Paul, went to her property on Friday and he put up flood defences outside her house, which a lot of the houses had. They're about four feet tall and they're these metal gates that sort of seal shut and are meant to stop water flooding through your front door, essentially. So he'd gone and he'd put those flood defences up for his mum on Friday and then he'd received a sort of panicked phone call from her later in the day when the flood water started coming in and rising really quickly and he said that he just sort of advised her to go upstairs and stay safe. And he'd gone later that day to try and get her out. He described the flood water as being up to his eyeballs, I think was the way he described it. And there was emergency services there who tried to get her out of the property. They went to the house, they smashed a window. They were trying to get in, but I think ultimately it was decided that it was too unsafe to get in at that time. And so they left and... Really, really tragically, um, his son, Paul, went back in the morning at half nine on Saturday and found his mum, Maureen, floating in the floodwaters on the ground floor of her property and sadly she died. 
I think that whole street, that whole community were really, really shaken up by it, to be honest. As I said, they were all very close to her. Neighbours kind of said to me, they just assumed that she was safe, that she was upstairs in the house. And if they'd known that she was struggling, that she was in distress, that if they knew she was trying to get out, they said, we would have done everything. We would have risked our own lives to try and get her out. It really shows just how dangerous these floods can be. I mean, in this country, we do see flooding every year. We do sadly often see deaths as well, but it kind of shows that if people aren't protected, if all the communication networks aren't in place, then sadly lives can be lost. It's just really shocking and tragic to hear. And as you said, there seems to be a real sense of community within Chesterfield. And you mentioned that people keep talking about 2007. And I wonder how badly was the town hit then by those flash floods? And what sort of mitigations were put in place to stop that happening again? So in 2007, there was some really bad flash flooding in the town that caused hundreds of homes to be flooded, similar to what we've seen this weekend. And I think that was what triggered a lot of people to invest in these flood defences, these flood gates that are supposed to protect properties. A lot of people spent thousands of pounds getting them installed after the 2007 floods. Unfortunately, what it also meant is that people's insurance to protect their properties from floods went sky high through the roof because their properties were shown to be so vulnerable. And a few people I spoke to today, they didn't have insurance. They're not covered, unfortunately, whatever damage has been done over the weekend. they do not have the insurance to cover that because they just could not afford the insurance premiums after 2007. So I think it had a really significant impact on the town. But there is a lot of frustration that people feel like not a lot has been done. And a lot of people reported today frustration at seeing building developments taking place on floodplain land. That's something that we see across the country and real concern and fear that building on floodplains is just going to mean this is going to happen more and more frequently as, as time goes on. be such a terrifying prospect for those people living in homes where they know they've been hit by floods before they can't afford the insurance and so it's just scary to see the rain coming in because there's nothing much that they can do and there's no help afterwards and I wonder I mean did you speak to anyone in that situation and what did they tell you? Yeah, so I spoke to a lot of people who were really taken aback by how quickly they were flooded and how bad it was. For example, Stephanie Winnard was one lady I spoke to. She talked about how she basically felt that she'd done everything by the book. You know, she installed these flood defences outside the front door, thinking they might still get a little bit of flooding, but oh, it'll be no more than a few inches because we've got these flood defences now. We didn't have them last time, but we've got them. And then the water sort of rose and rose and rose. On the back door, we've got a, a flood door which seals right side, and mm. that did actually work because right. it didn't actually come in through there, it come up toilets. Right. I've got a toilet downstairs, it come yeah. up, you drained, and it come, yeah. it just come from anywhere. I was going to say, so you just can't Once stop it, it gets in, you? that's yeah. it. Yeah. You've got no chance. It starts coming through the letterbox and it starts coming up through people's toilets and through people's drains. And she just described it as it felt like it was just coming from everywhere, that there was nothing they could do. The flood defences felt completely futile and it was just a case of grabbing a few of your most precious items and retreating upstairs. And people described being really scared. You can see on the stairs are right, where we can see here as well, yeah. but on the stairs it were even higher. So. Yeah. And were you at home the whole time yes. this was happening? Yeah, yeah so. we, we, stayed, we went straight upstairs watched it rise in I mean it come above all all fences Mm. it were it were horrendous horrendous I spoke to another woman she lived right at the bottom of the street 
closest to the river. She was called Lorna Squires. And she talked about how she was upstairs all night while the floods was completely destroying their property and they could just hear their furniture kind of crashing against the walls as it was being jostled around by this water. So we've got candlelights and paraffin lanterns and then all we could hear all night was the house creaking and the furniture smashing and I kept thinking, oh God, what's broke now? Gonna... And at one point she sort of went to the top of the stairs and looked down and she could see the water coming up the stairs, which shows just kind of how high it was. You know, it was over five foot high within the house and, wow. and they did say it was really scary and that they sort of retreated out in the morning and their garden was so full of debris that had been washed up people's garden sheds people's fences that they couldn't even open their front door they kind of had to battle their way outside um do you have sort of insurance or no anything, we which could get insurance after 2007 because you're there in were, a flood area yeah and there was there were so there weren't even touches and the ones that would touch us was absolutely astronomical mm. and we couldn't afford it yeah and i've just said well everything you know it it's just a case of replacing stuff. It comes again. Yeah. Um, we have crowdfunded and go fund me page mm, yeah, just for yeah. basics. Yeah. Uh, ladies just bought us a kettle and a toaster. Yeah. Um, so once one of the reasons she said she would yeah. never move away is because her daughter Anne Squires lived further up the street, and her daughter Anne has a disability, and she has two mobility scooters and a car which she uses to get around. All three of which were completely destroyed by flood water. I drove up my car out for the first time the other day. My car footwells are full of water. Mm. Obviously, my car's had it. My mobility scooters we've lost. My mm. mobility. I wish I had to go and buy a new mobility scooter charger, and that's cost me an arm and leg just mm. so we can get so I can get out and about yeah. without my car. I've got nothing. She has a husband who has a brain tumor, and she has a son who has autism. So they have a lot of specific needs, and their house has just been completely destroyed. I'm here, it's a change, my mum's down the street, my mum's mm. there, we need some help, my mum comes and helps us. Mm. My sister-in-law lives next door, we have a community, yeah, very and we have community. that community mm. of everybody helps everybody. Mm. And it's nice, when you've got, when you're classed as disabled, it's mm. nice to have that that help that somebody can help you when I'm having a bad day and there's mm. somebody else that can come and help. I sort of went in and the carpets were soaking, all the furniture was covered in mud. She said her sofa, she hadn't even finished paying off her sofa and it's completely destroyed and she's going to have to keep paying it off even though she can't use it anymore. So I've still got to pay for that sofa yeah. for the next two, three years. Even though it's... Even though I haven't got it and mm. it's, I can't do Wait, anything with it. Because that's what I've got left on it to pay. It's paid over so many it? years. Uh, it, doesn't, look, it doesn't matter, money's not to concern, you should stop worrying about it. No, He's no, worrying about Christmas at the moment, he keeps mm. worrying about Christmas. He keeps worrying about money and we're just like, just stop. Mm. We'll just, we just have to deal and yeah. deal and work away. Take it a day at a time. Christmas is here. Everybody mm. comes towards my mum, mm. my other children, everybody, my stepchildren, mm. uncles, and they all come here and we all work, we all have dinner together and mm. make it one big thing. Yeah. Not even all together at Christmas. Mm. Are you going to be able to? And I think with Christmas just around the corner, I think obviously for these people, it must be such a huge impact and a huge worry and concern, especially for those who, who as I said, couldn't afford to have the insurance to cover it. And people are going to be forced out of their homes for really long periods of time while things are fixed and dried out. It's just such a huge huge upheaval for people a lot of whom really really don't want to have to leave that street they don't want to leave their homes one of the obvious questions to ask is well why don't you just leave why don't you just move somewhere else but for a lot of people they do have such close connections to their neighbors and such close connections to their homes as well that they really don't want to leave
coming up. Why isn't the UK better at handling extreme weather? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Professor Trevor Hoey, you're the Director of Flood Risk and Resilience at Brunel University London. Why are we so vulnerable to floods? I think on a global scale, we're not as vulnerable as many other parts of the world. So we shouldn't overstate our vulnerability, I think, to start with. We are vulnerable to flooding because we're located in a relatively wet part of the world. So we are always going to get a lot of rain-bearing weather systems coming our way. and periodically those are going to be very intense, heavy, prolonged rain. And even in the absence of climate change, there are always going to be periods where you get clusters of wet conditions that will give rise to flooding. On top of which, we're living in an era of climate change and there is evidence that things are getting worse through time. Well, what defences are there for a storm like this? Traditionally, a lot of flood management has involved engineering structures to provide protection around critical infrastructure, houses, roads. That hard engineering approach works very effectively, but is very expensive. Mm. Secondly, the hard engineering approach has significant drawbacks as well. It does tend to lead to rivers becoming ecologically impoverished. And there are significant downsides. And in parts of the world where hard engineering has been used at scale, for example, in Japan, there is a movement now towards actually trying to move away from 
those hard structures towards a more holistic natural flood management approach to try to deal with the problem at source. We've built houses and factories and roads and other things on floodplains. So some of the natural routes water would have taken to drain away might have drained into the floodplain soils. A lot of those are now covered over with hard surfaces. means that some of the natural routes the water would have followed are now obstructed. The water gets diverted. It ends up ponding up in certain areas and you get the sort of pictures that we've seen over the last few days. Well, why does Britain feel so underprepared and overwhelmed by floods? Periodically, there are large flood events that have occurred in the UK, and there's been a little bit of a pattern over the last 20 to 30 years of flooding events being followed by government instituting reviews to look at how we approach flood risk management. We have different levels of responsibility from local authorities the Environment Agency in England and Wales. We've got other agencies in Scotland and Northern Ireland responsible for flood risk management as well. So one of the things that I think does need to be looked at in the UK context is to have that dialogue between national government, local government and other responsible authorities so that we do the integrated planning that is in all of the reviews that have been conducted. There are always recommendations about integration, but it is a real challenge. We do spend a lot of money on flood risk protection. We're not under-investing, and I think there's a lot to be said for the level of investment that has been put in. But joined-up thinking would go a long way. Joined-up thinking would go a long way, and ensuring that all of that investment is used in a really efficient way. In the last week, we've seen hundreds of people forced out of their homes. Some people have even sadly lost their lives. What do you think would be the most effective way to future-proof the country when it comes to water? Your question puts it very well in that you've talked about future-proofing in relation to water, not just to flooding, because we've heard throughout this last summer, back in June and July, there was concern over reservoir levels in parts of the country being at their lowest on record. During the summer, we've had a lot of reports about water pollution and untreated sewage entering river systems and coastal areas. Now we're talking about flooding. Those different aspects of water in the environment are to some extent linked together. And there are things you can consider that will have an impact on all of those issues. I'm concerned that we, with all of the other priorities that governments at different levels have to deal with, that this may not get the attention it perhaps deserves. The risk, I think, is that we continue to be somewhat reactive. We wait until there's been a flood event. We try to stop that event occurring again in the same place in future. We need to think at slightly larger scale about how we can mitigate and also help people to adapt to climate change at a national scale. Jess, how much of the country is still experiencing major disruption as a result of the storm? Luckily, we've seen the worst, I think. The main extreme weather has passed, but the Environment Agency has warned that flooding will take a number of days to subside. There were still weather alerts in place on Monday and Tuesday for heavy rain in some parts of the country. So although we've seen the worst and those kind of really extreme red alert danger to life warnings have expired now, it still hasn't completely gone. And of course, in those communities which have been really badly affected, it will take days 
if not weeks, if not months, to really fully recover from this. So yeah, it's still not fully over yet. Just what's the general feeling like in the Midlands about how this storm and flooding more widely is being handled? I've been covering the Midlands for a few years now and sadly this is definitely not the first flooding story that I have covered. And I often hear the same thing said by people, which is they just feel like nothing is done. A flood event like this, a big storm, will take over the news for a few days, for a week. Politicians might say things, they might make promises about extra funding for flood defences and support but then within a few weeks it disappears off the radar and things just aren't done and then a year down the line we're seeing the exact same things happen all over again so I think there is a general frustration and a feeling that these communities are forgotten about I mean that's one of the words I've heard time and time again today we're forgotten about obviously with climate change we're going to see more storms we're going to see more flooding these are the communities which are going to be most at risk and I think people just want to see some meaningful action from politicians whether we see that this time around I don't know but I think people want change. Jess thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. That was Jessica Murray, Professor Trevor Hoey and Steve Winfield. My thanks to all of them and to everyone who spoke to Jessica for her reporting on this story. To read that coverage, do search for Storm Babette or look up Jessica's piece titled We Can't Live in This, The Tight Chesterfield Street Devastated by Flooding, all at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. I'm Nasheen Iqbal and this episode was produced by Courtney Youssef and Hannah Moore. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 